0: Hi, my name is Kefus. And this is Liam. And you're listening to... The Billable Hour Podcast. Okay, I don't know how that's going to fly with our listeners. Uh, I don't know if you guys like it, Uh, but hopefully it plays well. Um, But today, we are very, very excited to say that we have a very special guest. Katie Stevens, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I'm very excited. I grew up in the Midlands and then I went to the University of Reading and graduated with my law degree in 2021. I then did a master's degree at UCL in law and social justice. I then worked for a local authority in care proceedings and in that year I applied for pupillage and I got a specialist family law pupillage and I'm currently studying mm. a bar course at ICA or ICA. ICA,
0: God, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I different things, so one of those. But aside from law, probably important to say, I'd say I like crafting. I'm a big family person because so I've grown up seeing my cousins every week. I care about my friends very much and I think having a big support network's really important.
0: Why did you pursue a career in law? Like, because in the first episode, me and Liam discussed our why law. And I feel like what we said could have potentially helped a lot of aspiring lawyers. And so we're just really curious what is your why law? Why did you choose it?
1: I think I always enjoyed history at school and understanding mm. the way the world has been governed and how society operates now. I also really loved maths. Maths? I, yes. That's <laughs> very strange
2: for a lawyer.
0: You're <laughs> yeah, the minority maybe here. maybe i the
1: anomaly. I, I did <laughs> A-level maths again and I loved the problem solving. I think it's quite similar to law. You have all these rules and you work out how to apply them. But mm. my, uh, one thing I think perhaps led me to law is I used to read a lot when I was young and one book that I read called My Sister's Keeper.
0: Right.
2: Have you heard of it? No, I haven't heard of it. I've was... heard of it. Okay.
1: Uh. It's also a film, but it's about medical law issues really within family law. And I think that that's having a book that really opened my eyes to what law involved for people. And I did work experience in a solicitor's firm during sixth form, And it was family law. And I think that made me realise the impact that law has on people's everyday lives and on their relationships. And I was really interested in that. I very much think I want to work with people and help people. And I've confirmed that through the pro bono work I've done. And in terms of the bar, I used to read in church when I was a child. So I think that I've always liked public speaking. I just hadn't done it for a really long time until going to university and doing mock trials. And I felt like I really want to do this.
0: I mean, that's really interesting that you bring up church. I mean, Mm. do you still attend? Are you um, devout or anything?
1: No, I don't attend anymore. Um. It was mainly a big thing for me when I was in primary school, going to a Catholic primary school. And we were all encouraged to be in the church. And I I really do think it did a lot for my confidence, actually, to Mm. be so young and to read. And we did a lot of school plays. I say a lot, probably one, probably Christmas and summer.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, I think maybe you dodged a bit of a billet there because honestly, if you'd said, yeah, I'm very religious and uh, Christian, then we would have ended up talking for two hours about Christianity. I swear to God, because I think me and Liam have had, I think, I don't know, a hundred conversations about just Christianity and theology. So I think (laughs) avoiding the biggest tangent of our lives is probably good there. Yeah, probably for the best. (laughs) Um, But I mean, did you have anything else you you wanted to say about, uh, you know, you pursuing your career in law? Because I think there's a little bit more that you could definitely develop because from what we've talked about on LinkedIn and such, I feel like there's a lot more um, that you have to say. And I think you have a a lot of important and key things to bring up about your why law.
1: I applied for a week's work experience in a local family law solicitors firm to me. We were encouraged to do that at sixth form. And I think that's probably where I really realised that I definitely wanted to do it. Because even though I I thought I liked history, and I've always liked reading, and obviously law involves a lot of that, I really thought I could use the skill set that I had developed. Something I think that sticks out for me is that I've enjoyed my work tutoring. Mm. Because that involved so much one-on-one and supporting um, families, as well as just the child. I think I really wanted to do something where I'd be able to use my listening skills and the empathy skills that I'd developed. But I also realised from this firm, seeing people really emotional and watching the solicitors be so... handling their clients' emotions well and being able to explain to them. And I thought this was an area um, of law... And a career where I would feel that I was helping people but it Mm -hmm. still allowed me to do something quite academic and I really did like school and education so I think that it felt like a good fit for me.
0: Yeah I mean empathy is huge in law Mm. Uh, I feel like it's up there in probably the top three most desirable and necessary traits do you need to have as a lawyer because at the end of the day you're not dealing with books you're not dealing with robots you're dealing with humans so I feel like if you lack that empathy then you're not going to succeed in any aspect of law because you need to have that interpersonal skills and I think it's amazing that you've been able to build that up you know and I'm glad that you've prioritized it
1: yeah thank you thanks for saying that actually I always had a feeling that tutoring was leaving me somewhere I'm We've obviously briefly spoke about tutoring before. We both Mm. obviously have some sort of passion about that. And I think for me, I've always really liked education. And at university, I was involved in a scheme called Students for Schools. The idea being that you go into state schools and you would support children with their education, but also aspire them towards higher education. And I think that's really important. I can remember one occasion where my school did bring in two solicitors, but those kind of things were quite rare. I I never found out through my school about any sort of law events. Now, I think that's why I like posting on LinkedIn because I like to share the kind of things I would have liked to have seen and known about. And since Results Day, I've seen more um, A-level students are following me, which is quite interesting because that's really quite an early stage to be looking ahead. But it's amazing because it's nice to have... um, I wish i had set up a LinkedIn, obviously I really do like it a bit earlier. <laughs> but I do think that volunteering in schools is very can be very grounding. Um when I was at university, I did feel fairly homesick at times because it was a really big step for me to go away from home. Yeah. And I really liked being in that school environment. It just felt really really nice to feel like I was helping people really one on one.
2: Yeah. No so, go on. Sorry, just, just to ask, so would you say that you know, part of your goals, I suppose, though maybe goal is the wrong word, uh, is to be like a mentor to younger students earlier on into their career trying to figure out what they want to do, and you want to be like that sort of mentor figure that you wish you had when you were growing up. Is that accurate to say?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to me with I have been able to mentor through my university so far and it's been a rewarding experience but it's also just so nice to feel that you are helping somebody because I think it is really difficult I really wanted to go to the bar but I was very nervous to pursue it for a long time because it felt like something I really didn't understand and my parents didn't go to university so although they're really supportive and really proud I don't think that they've always quite understood it and that's been quite difficult sometimes because for example they thought you know you'll do your degree and then you'll get a job and I had that complexity of explaining it's going to take longer I might have to do things a little bit differently to get to where I want to be it's at least going to involve further study. I am really passionate about helping underrepresented students um, reach the bar and that's why I've Trying to actively maintain a relationship with schemes I've benefited from, like Bridge and the Bar, because I think their schemes absolutely outstanding, and I met so many people that inspired me, and it really did make me feel a sense of confidence that I hadn't quite felt before.
0: Yeah, no, um, I think it's uh, really cool that you brought up your your parents earlier because I think that's something that me and Liam omitted uh, in the uh, in the first episode is just sort of the impact that our parents had on us choosing law and also just pursuing a career in law. Uh, Because obviously my dad, um, when he was much younger, had dreams to pursue the bar. Uh, He did, but obviously extenuating circumstances uh, made it so that he couldn't really. Um, So I think, you know, it was was very, very, uh, I guess, very cool, I guess, for me to see that I'm able to sort of... uh, do something really great uh, with my dad who was able to inspire me and I imagine even though your parents didn't do law um, and didn't do anything in law like that, they probably helped you to just sort of become a better career person, sort of inspired you to become a better career person.
1: I think that it was quite a big deal, particularly to my dad, for me to go to university because he didn't have that opportunity. And that's something that I don't take for granted. I know that my dad, he really liked studying. He would have loved to go um, if circumstances allowed it. I do think that that's always made me quite interested in education because although my parents have never pushed me necessarily into anything, they are really proud. And I do feel that I really want to take the opportunity that I've been given. And I'm in obviously a very fortunate position to even to do a degree for me I think degrees such a brilliant opportunity any education is so yeah I do think my parents have inspired me because as well they keep me really grounded which I think is really important I always yeah. feel really supported but also well, it's hard to explain because it's like my mum really couldn't care less what I do I don't I don't <laughs> want to say it like that because that sounds like she's unsupportive. but that's not the case <laughs>
2: I think what you're looking for to say is that your mom doesn't push any expectations onto you. She lets you choose what you want to do. And she's happy as long as you're happy, I imagine, is what you're trying to say, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think my mom, I'm, I'm inspired by my mom because she's a nurse. In fact, a lot of the women in my family are nurses or have been. So... That was something I probably didn't think I wanted to pursue. Hmm. But I think for my mum, I've always thought she was really bright. She doesn't really think that, but I think to her, work is—you know—to be a nurse, you've got to really care about it. But yeah. my mum's family was always really big, and I think that I've—that's quite instilled in me that I want to work really hard. And I definitely get from my dad that really strong work ethic. I've seen my dad work so hard, and that's given me these kind of opportunities but also it's helped to keep me grounded somebody to remind me that the things outside of life of law and my career are also really important
0: yeah no that that's that's incredibly important work-life balance and just sort of separating yourself from the career because it's 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 intoxicating because once you get into the into the groove of it um, you sort of start to get addicted to the work, and yeah. I know that's something that I'm feeling now. Especially since yeah. you know I've, I've just um, started alongside you with the bar course, um, and, and I know just with the sheer amount of work that I'm doing now, I know that in the future it's going to be incredibly difficult to maintain a work-life balance. So I think it's um, I think it's excellent that you're managing to sort of understand how integral it is to your um, just overall well-being
1: yeah and I think yeah. that it's important to say that it's not always been that way it's really over the past year that I've gained that perspective because I think from maybe you will both relate to this I'm not mm. sure I had so much of my identity tied up in law for a really long time and I was you know giving so much of myself to it you're studying full-time you're applying for things at the weekends and when I was applying for pupillage I was working full-time I was doing mock interviews in my lunch break I was writing applications in the evenings I was doing bridge in the bar events on the weekend and I was doing uh, interview prep and it was really intense and I think for me having friends who really look out for you and my friends that don't do law as well they also give me that perspective they absolutely were they cried when I told them that I got published. they were so excited and happy oh. for me but also at the same time having friends that remind you it's going to be okay either way that's important because I've experienced really I think I've spoken to you about this briefly before but really bad anxiety which mm. I think does stem from the pressure of wanting to achieve and not having yeah. enough time off yeah
2: yeah. And can I, I, I would just like to ask a question about something you said earlier, actually. Okay. Because, uh, and it's also tied on to what you just said. Um, So you said your parents initially didn't realize that, you know, you get your degree and then you don't just automatically get a job in law. You know, you have to still, you know, get yourself in your case a pupillage. Yeah. Um, so you said you were working full time when you were applying for your pupillages, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah that's correct. And,
2: and so I just feel like it's important to say for any of our listeners who might be in a, a similar position to how you were before you got it, it's that, you know, you don't have to have a pupillage or training contract straight away coming out of university. Mm-hmm. Um, for most people, they don't get that. Instead, they get one afterwards. Because I believe, uh, because it's something me and Kef have spoken about many times before, but some, for like solicitors anyway, the average age of entering yourself onto the role is, is thirty. So the average solicitor, when they complete their training contract, is 30. So you don't have to get a pupillage or a training contract straight out of university. You've got loads of time.
1: Yeah. I, I actually would like to add on to that from my own personal perspective, but also a couple of my friends I've spoke to recently. I actually didn't want to become a lawyer straight away either. I was not ready, and I don't mm-hmm. think I was in the right mindset. I think that I was in a place... um where I was struggling. I was really struggling. I was feeling really down. And I think mm. leaving uni can do that to you.
2: Yeah, it's really yeah. hard
1: to leave that life behind. And I really struggled with that. But also, I didn't feel quite there. I knew I wanted to pursue the bar and I was passionate about it. And I, I felt unable to say that to people around me in case people perceived it as a lack of interest. But actually it was that year where I worked and I was working for a local authority and I was doing family work. And I was interacting with barristers and I just suddenly had this feeling like I'm ready for this. And I do think that's because I gained an insight into what it was really going to be like. And I realised how significant these cases were for people. But also I was having interactions with barristers and thinking, I think I could do this.
0: Yeah, and that that's so key. Man, I haven't had the opportunity yet, but... <laughs> i haven't really talked to many barristers yet um besides from when i was marshalling where i talked to a few but i think yeah. the lunch will be a good introduction uh that so we're having a members lunch at uh, our end of court on tuesday so fingers crossed i mean not even fingers crossed i will definitely be talking to many many uh barristers but i think um a decent way to segue into our next question uh Before, for a little bit, I hand off to Liam to ask you a couple of the questions. How on earth do you get a pupillage? That is, I think, the most important question that you could ask for anyone trying to be a barrister. Because it's 1 in twenty. One in 20 people who apply get it. That's like a 0.016% or something chance like that. I, I think it's very important that you sort of say... How you managed to get it, and you know what it entailed, and all of that. What did your mm-hmm. you know, application process look like? What did the interview process look like? And any tips you have for you know anyone applying for Pupilages? Because for most of the chambers, the applications start in a couple months, so at the beginning of 2024, and then they end in February, I believe. So yeah, if you could just give a uh, just a rundown of the process.
1: You apply for pupillage either six months ahead or eighteen months ahead, because some chambers are recruiting for the coming September or, not, or October and summer for the year ahead. And mm. because I hadn't done the bar course when I was applying, I could only apply to places recruiting for the year, for the next, for the year ahead. Twenty <laughs> twenty-four. <laughs> Can <Couldn't> articulate myself. <laughs> The way you apply is using the Peoplage gateway, which allows you to apply to 20 chambers. But you can also apply to as many chambers you want that are not on the gateway. And it involves detailed application forms, setting out your work experience, education, achievements, hobbies, and then a set of questions which chambers personalise Then there's typically a two-stage interview process. So they'll interview you for two rounds and then the results come out at the start of May.
2: Okay, um, I have a follow-up question to that. I was just wondering, so during your application... Like your journey to applying to a bunch of uh, chambers. Yeah. Did you have any kind of strategy to how you would answer questions on application forms? And definitely, what was your strategy when you were invited to interviews? Like, how did you approach them? Like, could you just give us an insight into how you were thinking about dealing with those issues?
1: The first thing that I did is I started early. I drafted the education and work experience section in October either the form was made available for you to fill in that section or there was a an example template which I used and then I worked on it for ages really trying to perfect it trying to think about how far back I should go with my work experience and I sought career support so asking careers advisors from my universities. To look through the application so I made sure that those this part of the application form was ready because and I believe this was new for last year all chambers get the same version of that so you can't tailor that to different chambers if you're using the pupillage gateway The one of the most important things which I think I learned because I was lucky enough to again I cannot speak more highly of bridging the bar you can probably tell but hmm. because I'd had opportunity to speak with people there I knew that it was important to tailor my applications and looking back on the the ones that were successful for interview my most successful were the ones that were well researched and not the ones that name dropped and I think that that's something I really didn't understand at the time for some chambers I attended all of their webinars and I'd seen their chain I'd seen members of their chambers in court and I had name dropped that and At the time I was trying to show, I can see, I've seen the kind of work that your members do and I'm really interested in it, but I don't think that was as effective as the chambers I wrote about, where I'd done my research. I'd looked up their members, I'd read the judgments that their chambers had been in, I'd gone to the open evenings, I'd gone to different talks, so I went to the Midland Circuit talk, for example, I watched pupillage fair talks available on YouTube and I tried to use that to link my own values to each chambers. I Another thing that I did, which I don't know how, how, how much, again, for any of these questions, I'm not sure what led me to get interviews, but I tried to look at the ways that they describe their barristers in their profiles and I tried to use those words, um, trying to pick out which of those things I related to. And when I was reading the job descriptions... I try to use those words that they use. So if they said they wanted an in, someone intellectual with the advocacy experience, when I was asked, why do you want to be a barrister? Or why would you be a good barrister? I said, I have the intellectual ability. I have the advocacy experience. So I tried to tailor mm. to what specifically they set out that they were looking for, for each different application. Every single one was different.
2: Okay, and can I just say, I think that... Um... Looking at how they described their own barristers on their website, I think that's a very, very clever way to go about that. Because presumably those aren't written by the barristers themselves; they're written by somebody from, well, their HR team. Um, I
1: have, I have absolutely no idea. But I think yeah. when, you're writing, when you're writing these applications, it can be obviously really overwhelming. I'd, I'd never done it before, and I thought, well, I'm going to get going to try and get a feel for the barristers that they have. And obviously you cannot just use, use the exact same things, but it gives you ideas of the kind of things that they're looking for and you sometimes you can see a bit of yourself in that. So it's a good way to emphasise that you have done your research. Hopefully, I don't know how much of that had a bearing, but biggest focus being that I really did try to tailor each application really carefully. And again, sometimes that was successful and sometimes it wasn't.
2: Yeah, um, obviously you can't know how how effective what you've done <laughs> is for getting you an, an interview and ultimately leading to you getting your pupillage. But it's definitely interesting ideas that I'm sure some of our listeners hadn't thought of. Because I know I've definitely never thought of looking at how they write about their own people to see if you can if you meet some of those values if you can emulate them in your application you know what i mean
1: yeah i will say that another big thing they always emphasize is the spell checking i i i really have to thank Grammarly for this because obviously.
0: <laughs> wait <laughs> hold crazy. on hold on not sponsored all right not sponsored. So let's, let's no. relax
1: not <laughs> I had it installed on the desktop. So I used OneNote for all my applications and it, uh, it just automatically underlines errors. But also when you're on the gateway and that's set for me on Safari, it, you're writing in the forms. It would also underline in the form because I had it installed onto, to, onto. Or with an
0: extension. Right. Yes, okay. yes, that's
1: the word. I did say to you, I'm, I probably don't know really quite <laughs> the language, but you know, I think that's really helpful because that is by far one of the most stressful things when you've done all that work and you're ready to submit it and you just can't let it go. I cannot tell you the amount of times I reread them. It it just got ridiculous because I worked really hard and I really didn't want there to be a, a little error. Yeah, and that was really helpful because sometimes you might just not quite see it and then you see that green line Or oh, is it red i can't remember <laughs> it's red i think it's red and it that's obviously so helpful it's quite reassuring
0: yeah i mean um i think just obviously because um I- i'm very conscious of like the time and we have a lot more questions to ask you, but I did want to say, um, or just, I had a little question just okay. uh, just before we switch and I hand it off to Liam to ask you the next few questions. What sort of word count were you reaching for each of these applications? So because from what I've heard, you know, some people are hitting 4,000 per application and that sort of thing. Um, so what 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 did it look like for you? Like uh, what was the the words, like how long did it take? Like Barring the proofreading, how long did it take you to actually write?
1: Oh, it took a long time. I I, I don't know about word counts or anything like that, because again, they, they all have different time limits, but I was spending a few hours on each one. It's really hard to say because when I started, I would then start other applications and then I would go back if I'd thought of a different way to word something. So that's quite a difficult question to answer but it was a really big commitment it was quite a stressful time yeah. but I think it's important to say I know that you want to move on to the next question so I, I don't think it's about interview but for me the biggest thing was mock interviews That that's absolutely huge I had my friends interviewing me bless them, very grateful for that and schemes such as Herbar and... The Inn of Courts have a mock interview scheme, and that gave me very honest feedback, pointed out my bad habits. They told me things they didn't like in the content of my answers. And I thought that was so helpful because you can practice so much on your own. And I actually used, I hope I say this right, Chat GPT. I can't take credit for <laughs> this. <but> my. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot take credit for this but my careers advisor um from UCL recommended copying in the job description and asking them to ask questions based on that so I feel like I spoke to myself constantly during that time because I was just doing so many interviews practicing debate questions but that's that's really huge to have somebody else give you feedback and and as your friends they they can be quite honest with you some of my friends really pointing out strange filler words that i used or how i started my sentences and that was so helpful because you want to be yourself but you also want to be the most confident well polished version of yourself that you can be and sometimes that does require you to have a think about the way that you are answering things i had a habit where i'd constantly repeat back the question and uh the panel that were interviewing me in a mock interview said that that was so distracting, but I'd never noticed it before. I didn't know that I was doing it. And again, some chambers probably really wouldn't mind that, but it's just helpful to know the things that other people pick up.
2: Well, thank you for that answer. I think what we we learned from that is that mock interviews can be very, very important. Yeah. Because they they teach you all of the mistakes that you make that you never knew you were even making in the first place. (laughs) But I think we should now move on to the next question. So obviously you haven't started your pupillage yet, okay. um, but once you do plan it, considering all we've spoken about already, it's clear that it's important to take a break sometimes and protect your mental health, you know? So yeah. when you start your pupillage, what kind of challenges are you expecting both, you know, to your, for yourself as well as your personal and social life? And um, how do you plan to overcome them and have the best possible work-life balance to keep yourself, well, energized, you know?
1: I think a big thing will be that family law can be a very emotional area of law. And I definitely experienced this when I started working at the council. And the way I dealt with it then was reaching out to people my my own support work, support network, so friends I had that also worked in law, but also my the solicitors that I was working with or my peers, if something was particularly upsetting. I think uh, openness, that vulnerability is really important. I'm something I'm going to take with me and make sure that I, f- I speak to my supervisor and maybe my fellow pupils and also just my friends and actually I did go to a talk recently about mental health and the law and they were talking about that importance of therapy and I think all of these things are really important and I have access support from law care the charity before and I had a peer mentor through them so I think that's something I would also be open to doing again because I think it's a great charity and it was really helpful to have somebody who related to my experience. Stress, I mean, I completely get what you're saying as well about a work-life balance. It's potentially a very stressful job, of course, and stress really does impact me in terms of sleep and anxiety. <laughs> Starting the bar course has really sh- really shown that that's still a thing. Um, I think for me, having hobbies and friends outside of law, again, that ground me, going to my exercise spending time with my family is important. I mentioned earlier my cousins are really really important to me and I'm the oldest. So none of them really know what I do and they probably and the nice thing is that children don't really care what you do they just care that you're there. So I think I really want to make sure that I when I am off work I'm I'm really present and I remember how much that part of my life means to me. I think it's also important to say and I don't know whether either of you have will it relate to this but I think I am quite fearful of imposter syndrome I think for a long time I felt quite fearful about pursuing the bar and being the right fit and I think that's that's something that probably never quite goes away the barristers I've spoke to at least say that and The interesting webinars that I've been to also talk about that. So I think I'll need to continue to work hard and remind myself that I worked really hard to be here. That's obviously really important. This is going to obviously be a really big learning curve. So I want to make sure that I rely on the support network I've developed. People I've made friends with over the years in law, but also outside of it. And my parents, they're probably the biggest part of that reminding me what's you know that it's important to manage stress and look after yourself
0: yeah I mean I mean I'm, I'm really glad that you even brought up imposter syndrome because this is a topic that me and Liam have been bobbing around with for a while uh yeah. sort of thinking about how we're going to integrate it because it's, it's really important that we discuss it um I mean I I experience imposter syndrome to this day <laughs> I I regularly think uh am I am I capable uh like am I actually like physically capable of qualifying and, you know, achieving all these goals that I have and reaching the best version of you know my myself that I I believe to be myself anyway. Um, so I, I think just understanding that, especially in our position, um, like we've we've got a degree, you know, we're we're studying the bar course, we, we we've done so many different things, you know, volunteering, different work experience, all of these things. So I think it's just so important that. Once you have accomplished these things, just know that you didn't accomplish them by accident. Um, it, yeah. it wasn't just thrust upon you from the skies. Uh, it's something that you worked for. It's something that you were mentally and physically capable of accomplishing. So I think um, trying to separate the facts from the fiction, because imposter syndrome is fiction. Um, for many people who experience it, it's fiction. It's um, your, your mind playing tricks on you, which is something that I like to say very often. Because it's true, uh, because it's, it's never really founded in reality. Um, mm. Because I think for, um, especially because you say that, you know, it's something that, you know, barristers experience, right? Like qualified barristers. Uh, that's yeah. what you said earlier, right? Um, like, mm. like, how is that even possible? You know, like, it, it's clearly, it's clearly um, a, a part of your brain that is just being a bit silly and it's just sort of taking over and making you doubt yourself. And, uh, you know, especially it, with regards to barristers, like they, they, they've reached the, the top goal. They, they, they've reached the pinnacle that uh, they've been practicing for years now. And they're clearly very good at it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be barristers anymore. So uh, if it permeates even into the, you know, the, uh, the highest qualified people in our uh, profession, then uh, it, it, it's clear that it's something that's not warranted. It, it's not legitimate. So I think just for anyone um, sort of experiencing the imposter syndrome, whilst the feelings are definitely real, understand that it is entirely unfounded. Like you absolutely are capable of doing anything that you set your mind to and focus on the good part of your brain that knows this and ignore the negative part that is trying to sort of bring you down and bring about these unnecessary doubts, you know, Mm. because self-doubt is crippling uh we we all know this um if if we let ourselves succumb to self-doubt then there's absolutely no chance of us ever accomplishing anything that we want so yeah no um thank you uh for even allowing me to segue into that and allowing me to talk for you know five minutes about what i think is just so important
1: i Um, love that um, you wanted to talk about that
0: yeah
2: Um, Actually, I have something also to add on about this, Kef, because you said something that I think is really important as well. Yeah. uh, When you said it's all a fiction. Yeah. Because besides, and I don't know if anybody, if if either of you guys will agree with me on this one, but um, it's not just a fiction of yourself. I think it's also a fiction of others. Because you look around, you look at other people, like in your case, you look at qualified barristers and you'll look at them, you'll think, Look, they're so capable. They have all their stuff together. They know what they're doing, whereas I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Right. But I think the real truth is that obviously, you know, we can't speak to them and ask to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure the the real truth is that they also feel the same way. They yeah. feel like they don't really have it all under control, and I yeah. feel like you never really feel like you have it under control, and that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's completely fine. Yeah.
1: I think that's so true. So yeah. true. Even when I got pupillage, I really felt worried for a long time afterwards, thinking, wow. I even said when they called me, I'm worried, like, can you confirm <laughs> for your email this is real? Because I really can't believe it. They were lovely about it. They were so lovely, because obviously it's very um, shocking call to receive. And they were like, I can confirm this is not a joke. But <laughs> I think even starting the bar course, that I, I feel very... You know, really fearful about that and again like you do really doubt your capabilities and actually these just things are just a challenge and you know they are going to be difficult but it's having to try and persevere with that feeling and I I think uh, the reason why I love what you're trying to do with the podcast is opening up the conversations being a bit more vulnerable I think I would have really benefited from hearing that a little bit more because I've been so inspired over the years by barristers who have done talks about their careers but sometimes it's a little bit reassuring to hear from people yeah I feel that way too I've struggled too I've felt that self-doubt too and I think that that's why I've met some really good friends in law who have been like that and we've actually bonded over that and you're able to really lift each other up when you need it and that's really I really appreciate my friends that do that for me
2: yeah having a good support network is always
0: key he stole my line (laughs) he stole my line we didn't even write anything but he stole my line oh my god okay
2: okay i'm sorry to steal your thunder
0: i see how it is
2: but okay i think we should move on to the next one but that was that was a brilliant conversation yeah no Um, very important so anyway so katie the next question is Uh, How do you stay up to date with changes in the legal field? And um, how do you plan to continuously improve your legal knowledge and skills as you progress in your career?
1: Hmm. For me, I like to stay up to date with podcasts, webinars, newsletters. I think that that's quite good. For me, particularly in the lead up to application season and during interview season, I was also reading judgments I have since stopped doing that I I have to admit for now (laughs) um (laughs) um, I the terms of family law there are some just great podcasts which are really helpful and they are produced recently so that's really helpful Uh, it's probably helpful to say sorry and, and to divert from your own podcast
0: oh god she's gonna plug <laughs> someone else
1: I'm to plug others. <laughs> oh. um, some yeah, of god. them i love some of them i love which i think is helpful to say is pump court chambers do a really good one resolution ah. unit chambers there's one called family law and lattes and actually i hope i'm pronouncing this correctly gresham college they obviously do a big mix of things but they did some really interesting ones about is law is that
0: the one in oxford or is that cambridge
1: I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. But I, yeah, they're they're just, they're really, really good. And in terms of email newsletters, there's so many good ones for family law, like Family Law Week, St. Mary's do a good one. Webinars. I really like a webinar. When they're running them, chambers often run different ones about different areas of law. And especially when they're trying to do updates they are aimed at practitioners but usually anyone can go and sometimes I was trying to do that to try and get to know a chambers a little bit better because some of the things I'd kind of read online was that potentially if they're talking about that that might be because they've got a lot of work in that area or they're trying to develop a specialism or they have a specialism in that area so I was trying to understand what parts of family law were they quite focused on and actually I think there's also in, in terms of keeping up every day with the news, there's a podcast called Best of Today, which is really good because that was also quite important when you're being asked topical questions and in interviews. I don't I don't read um the new I do have the news app on my phone and I'll read it every so often, but I found it quite easy to digest in podcast format. Mm. I do really like a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think whilst I'm working how will I continuously improve? I think asking questions in in my last job for the council I think I learned so much from that because I asked for more responsibility and asked questions and I think that, that I've learned that that is really important and actually at the moment since starting the bar course I've been to court to try and put the criminal litigation in context I think that's quite a helpful thing to do so I think I would continue to play an active part in attending these webinars um as i progress in my career to make sure that i'm up to date
2: yeah um and sorry just a follow-up question and now i appreciate that this is i i I appreciate i probably already know the answer to this one but just in case i'm incorrect um so obviously for a lot of people who want to become barristers or solicitors something that they always have to keep up to date with is you know commercial news commercial awareness and so I was just wondering if you ever kept up to date with commercial commercial news to have your commercial awareness up and what kind of um, outlets did you use to stay up to date on that
1: I did although I don't think that is such a I wasn't asked too much about this
2: yeah, that's what I figured, so I thought if you don't if you don't really have anything for that, that's fine, but I thought it was worth asking.
1: Some of the newsletters that I am subscribed to do do a lot of commercial um, work. So, so they talk about commercial topics such as Little Law. There's also The Student Lawyer. I think they're some of the ones I have read. So I have tried to keep up to date with it. Maybe I probably focused a lot more on family law developments to be honest
2: well that makes complete sense considering that's your specialty (laughs) so that's why i said i kind of thought i knew the answer already but thought it was worth asking um but okay let's move on so segueing nicely i think if you weren't doing a family law pupillage what other area of law would you have liked to specialize in or at least had an interest in specialising mm. in?
1: This is a difficult question, really. I have actually previously been interested in the government legal department. I think for a time I was quite interested in policy, but I my main interest has always been family law, so I didn't feel like I was going to have the same interaction with people. I, I always liked company law, actually, and property law at university, but that's quite encompassed in family law in terms of when people separate and they have businesses or if they're not married and you have to rely on property law for people that cohabit Mm -hmm. it's interesting because at UCL when I was doing my master's some of the research we looked at was saying that women do tend to go into family law because it's a caring area of law so it's actually hard for me to say where I think that interest comes from because I just think I've always I've always wanted to do something that really had that Interaction with people, and I think family law I'm just best suited to. I didn't really answer the question, I think I diverted away from it.
2: <laughs> That's no. okay. Let oh, sorry, Kef. If you want to say something, go ahead. No,
0: I was just gonna say, no, I think she answered it. Um, I think you answered it pretty well. Um, I think it's just funny that you mention um, company law and um, family law being like intertwined. Because I remember when we were doing uh, corporate governance in third year, uh, I remember one of my favorite cases being um, <gasps> Prestadel. Press. Press oh, my God. Yeah, you, hey. you know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we have different reasons for why it was our favorite. Oh. Uh, what, I mean, what's no. your reason? Mine, because, look, lifting the corporate veil and all that is really cool, but they were Nigerian. Come on. He was Nigerian, and I was like, that is awesome. The minute I saw that, I was like, this is going to be my favorite case forever. I I don't care. I don't care about the outcome. Right. I don't care about anything else. like that. This was before I knew the full facts of the case. I don't care about anything else. This is my favorite case of all time now.
1: I think it's such a good case. And it is actually a family law case. Yes. That's probably why I liked it. But at the time, I didn't realize that it was quite intertwined. It was more when I was actually doing research for chambers. that I realized actually... I don't know whether it's how much company law it is, but I guess it is. If you are having to look behind the corporate veil, I think that would be quite interesting to have that mix to bring company and family law in. No, sorry, company and property law in. keeps it, just adds something different, doesn't it? Something different to look at. I hadn't really thought about it really before even studying that case in company law, how that could be a big thing.
0: Yeah, but I imagine just when you like started reading it a bit more and getting a full understanding of the case itself, you started to see how it links so closely with family law. I'm yeah. Guessing,
1: right? Oh, yeah. I really liked that that area and company law. I think that was my favourite.
0: Yeah, I missed that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I really missed that. Really missed that. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, but I feel like Liam was going to say something
2: yes um i'm just going back to the the previous question as in what would you have done other than family law i was just gonna make some suggestions and just say if interest or no interest so and keeping it on something because you said you want to do something that helps people so criminal law assuming you're not prosecuting well even then if you're prosecuting you're helping people but just criminal law did that have any interest for you
1: I think when I was doing mock trials yes but based on many pupilages I've done I didn't I didn't think that it was what I wanted to do I found it really emotional and I know that family law is emotional as well but
2: it's a different kind of emotion yeah,
1: it really is and it's a different sort of advocacy I I guess because in criminal law it's a lot to do with juries and I think I just felt that I preferred family law based off my work experience and I did want to work with families. I found com- criminal law to be, there. Are obviously, obviously there are links between criminal and family law and I have heard it be said that it's actually great when people do are qualified in both because you have that r- in criminal law, you're doing loads of advocacy and that could be really helpful for family law when you're cross-examining witnesses. I think I was pretty certain I wanted a specialist family law pupillage. So I'm going to say no to that one.
2: (laughs) That's okay. And then I had one more. Uh, Again, if you don't want to answer this one, that's okay. But um, how about human rights law? Mm. Did that have any interest for you?
1: I really liked children's rights. I studied that and I really did like that. So although I didn't study human rights on its own I really did like children's rights but I'm not sure really whether you can do a pupillage in that you can but it's encompassed within family law and I think some chambers are a bit more specialized in it than others so yeah I think I have had an interest in a bit more international law or human rights in terms of but I'd really looked at it more in terms of children so again family law just felt like the best fit for me
2: Okay, well then, it's, it's clear you, are, you knew what you wanted to do, and having conviction is probably what got you to where you are today.
1: Oh, I couldn't say.
2: <laughs> well, no worries either way. But I think we should move on and ask the final question. Kef, would you like to do the honours?
0: But yes, that leads us to the final question. What advice would you give to law students who aspire to become barristers in the future?
1: okay I like this question I think I would try and get a variety of experience non-law jobs are important voluntary work for me volunteering at a school gave me so many of the skills that I talked about when I was interviewing for pupillage applying for a week in a solicitor's firm or local authority if you can do that and I I do appreciate that that's not always possible um and sometimes when I was doing that I was waitressing in the evening so that was a bit tiring but sometimes you don't quite know where that will lead those kind of placements um can expose you to barristers actually the first barrister i met was through doing a work placement in a in a local authority for a week and they took me to court and i met barristers actually from the chambers where i've got pupillage so very exciting full circle moment Mm. another thing another thing i'd say to law students is At university, they really, maybe you've both had the same experience. They like, they really encourage networking. Yeah. It's the kind of word they throw around all the time. For me, I think, yes, networking is going to these careers events, but it is also making contacts with your peers at university and maintaining them. For me, I kept in contact with lecturers, both who are barristers and who aren't, because I think that they are important they had a really big impact on me when I was there and that I also felt able to ask some questions about the bar I kept in contact with people that I've done many pupillages with people who judge my mooting competitions people solicitors I worked with in the council because some of them were barristers that went in-house and I think that over the past couple of years that's what helped me to get to know the bar by trying to maintain those contacts and that can be difficult because you know sometimes that's not going to happen you, I've had that happen where I've emailed some people I've done minis with and they haven't responded and that's completely fair enough. Yeah. But I think something I've learned is don't be afraid to ask. The network that I've just discussed, people on LinkedIn, when people are offering to read applications on Twitter, LinkedIn, it's it's important to know that it's okay to reach out and ask because it's don't be afraid to go for it. Sometimes I felt a bit awkward sending that email and saying do you have any advice for me or would you read an application but then I remembered that I help others on LinkedIn and I know I'll be willing to in the future and a lot of barristers love to do that they love giving back and they and they've said that to me and that a lot of the time you can see I think on LinkedIn that they love sharing their experience and helping and hopefully that's helpful I think else would I say I do think that similar to what we've discussed earlier the importance of not having an identity wrapped up in law I think Mm. that it can be quite difficult um when you're working really hard and trying to achieve so many things Mm. it's important to have something outside of that hobbies and friendships and I think that's really important
0: yeah definitely um I mean like going back on what you said earlier, I mean, like I I volunteer, I've been volunteering for a while now. Um, I, I used to do uh, two sets of volunteering, uh, like simultaneously. So uh, I, I mentor um, a kid. Uh, I help him, you know, in his very important developmental stage. And I used to also uh, do a age UK cafe every Thursday. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, um, like volunteering is something that, I feel like even not not just like pro bono work, but just regular volunteering is really, really important. Yeah. I feel like it's something that a lot of people should do. I feel like if anyone gets the opportunity to volunteer in any way, I feel like it's very important that you should. Because I initially, I wanted to do some like uh, advocacy one, like helping people who struggle with communication to be able to communicate. Uh, But the one in my local area isn't very well structured and it was very hard to try and get one uh, outside. So instead I, I looked elsewhere and I found other really good ones that I was interested in. So, you know, I went in and applied for them and I, I did them for a while. And I'm still doing the uh, mentoring uh, currently. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I think mentoring is so rewarding and I agree with what you said about volunteering, the amount that you get out of that. And a lot, the large part of that is, is being able to help people. And it's kind of like a two way street, isn't it? I mean, I, it does make you feel good and you do develop a lot of skills oh yeah i think that really does help you to understand the bar but also it gives you experience working with people that you sometimes don't get Hmm.
2: Hmm.
0: i mean yeah i mean no i i think there there's um not much else to develop on that so i think that leads us to a part of the video uh, or uh, should i say the podcast that i'm <laughs> most excited for but i know that I'm katie not... <laughs> is dreading um we are now creating a new segment called are you smarter than a law student where with each of our subsequent uh guests uh, that come along we're gonna ask them a set of questions relating completely to law um oh, no, hopefully i mean hopefully uh katie comes on again for a later episode so hopefully she's a bit more primed and less nervous um but yes
1: revise. i'm going to revise when i come back if i can
0: <laughs> oh my god treating it like exam won't work we'll give you the hardest questions we can think of next maybe
1: time. maybe you could do some civil and criminal so i could revise
0: oh yeah killing two <laughs> birds with one stone yeah So we have um, 10 regular questions and a bonus question. I feel like we're going to divvy it up uh, five and five with uh, me and Liam. And then the final one, it's a toss up. So I think I will just take that one. Thank you. Go Um, for it. So. We tried to sort of structure it and you know how there's like the seven foundations for a qualifying law degree, right? You know, like criminal, public, tort, like la-di-da-di-da. We tried to sort of structure um, you know, seven of our questions uh, towards that. So, we are are starting with public and EU.
1: So, are you ready?
0: And you have, just to make it a lot harder, you have 15 seconds to complete the questions so okay. answer to the best of your ability i already have my stopwatch out so are you ready it'll start the minute i finish the last word okay so unless you really can't hear me i'm not gonna repeat it okay okay so listen all right what does the term ultra vires mean oh clock's ticking
1: I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't remember.
0: Well, okay. We'll notch a fat zero on number one. (laughs)
2: Well,
0: the answer to that is just acting or doing something beyond one's legal power or authority. So if you recall the whole prorogation of parliament thing, the term ultra virus was swung around quite a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if you recall. It happened uh, a few years ago now. Um, So yeah. It just means doing more than you have the authority to do. Got it. Good. Now, this next one is contract law. So again, same rules. Oh no. (laughs) Same rules. Okay. Can you name the four basic elements needed to create a basic legally binding contract?
1: I think so. Offer. That's one. Acceptance. That's two. Consideration.
0: That's mm-hmm. three.
1: And an intention.
2: Oh, oh. Uh, I no no! I think that that's was fair. over fifteen. I, you think no, we no, should I allow think that's that? Fair. I think I'll allow that.
0: Wow. Um. Okay. Okay. I was being a stickler. Up. I mean. Okay. She had
2: started saying the last one, so I think it's okay. fair.
0: Okay, fine, fine, I'm playing by the rules here, but you see Liam, (laughs) Liam's doing something else, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) it's kind of clear she was gonna get it. (laughs) I don't know, bro, 15 seconds and 15 seconds, but Katie, please finish.
1: It's an intention to create a legally binding contract
0: yeah i'll give that i'll give that come on <laughs> okay, what are you talking okay, okay, about okay, okay, no okay no no, no you're no, being too much of a stickler this that's happens the same every thing. time every time me and liam play games okay he's always like wait bro please like i'm pretty much saying the right thing and right you are but i'm playing it by the book okay <laughs> i'm oh. joking i not this time around I'll, I'll 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 get that one i'll i'll allow you that point okay yes. thank you so that's one out of two just You're so you know the phrase
2: well. kef was looking for was an intention to create legal relations but you basically uh, said that
1: okay yeah well i haven't studied contract law since 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my
0: wait did you wait sorry just a quick sideline then when did you actually start just like a really quick like, when started, did you actually start
1: university yeah in 2018 2018.
0: So a year before, before we did. us, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Anyways, enough of that. So, this one's a family law question.
1: Oh no! All right. <laughs> I thought I'd want this, but now I'm even more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So there are two possible answers for this. Okay. Um, listen carefully. What was the statute that brought about no-fault divorce?
1: Oh. The Divorce Act? Divorce and Dissolution Act or something like that? What year? 2022? Oh Oh, no, is it 23?
0: It's 2020 was the um, second answer that we had. So it was the Divorce, Dissolution and Separation Act 2020 or the Divorce Reform Act 1969. Because we had a bit of trouble...
1: because oh, I remember when that's... we
0: were setting up the uh, yeah. questions there were like two separate like answers, it was like, this is a revolutionary piece of statue, you know, the 1969 one, and then the one in 2020 was also revolutionary, so we were like you know what, out of those two answers we'll give her one so, oh. that is one out of three nice. <laughs> alright, now this is criminal law so okay. section 4, subsection 1 of the Homicide Act, 1957, provides that a person who is involved in a suicide pact shall be convicted of what? Oh. Now, let me just, like, because I think I, I just remembered this now, I'm, I'm going to give you four uh, options to choose from.
1: Okay, that's generous, thank you.
0: Yeah, 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 because I feel like that was a better way to structure it. So, is it A... Manslaughter, B, murder, C, attempted murder, or D, wounding or causing GBH, which is general uh, previous uh, bodily harm. Yes. So go.
1: Manslaughter. Final answer. Yeah. Ding ding ding. <gasps> yeah. go. Right.
0: Nice see don't doubt yourself guys remember that no self-doubt now i think i'm gonna be having the yeah so yeah you get that one okay now this is a classic is a classic question classic 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 it's just the one case that everyone thinks of so what is the name of the landmark tort law case that established the neighbor test and laid the foundation of the modern law of negligence. Go.
1: Well, I thought it was Donahue and Stevenson, but when you said famous one, but neighborhood test. Final I, answer I, three seconds. I can't. Nothing. Yes. <laughs> what
0: does yes mean? I think that means yes. Final That's answer.
1: Final answer. Okay. I haven't got another answer. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, yes, it was Donahue v. Stevenson. Okay, so now I'm gonna hand it over to Liam and he's gonna do the next five questions.
2: Okay, so and just uh, say halfway through, I think that's three out of five. Is that correct, Kev? Um, let me check
0: one, two, three. Yes, three out of three five. Three out
2: of five, not bad. So we start the second half and we start with the family law question again. So uh What act redefined the rights of married women and allowed them to own property separate from their husbands? Your time starts now.
1: Oh. Uh, I don't know, so I'm going to just have to say... The Family Law Act.
2: <laughs> that is incorrect. Um, now the answer here, because Kef wrote this question, was the Married Women's Property Acts 1870 to 1893. Okay. Kef, just a question for you. Why is it
0: 1870 to 1893? (laughs) Because apparently there was a whole lot of policy shifting throughout that time when I Googled it, because I had to remember, because I remembered it was like 1887 and, and there was one that was like 1883 or something. So I was like, if she says pretty much any year between 1870 and 1893 i'll give it okay well then that's fair <laughs> but okay well we move on and
2: your next the next category is criminal law once again and your question is what is the age of criminal responsibility in england and wales your time starts now 10 is that your final answer Oh, God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes.
2: Well, good. I was about to take it as your final answer anyway, because your time ran out. Uh, And you're correct. It is 10.
1: That's good.
2: Okay. Your next question, we break outside of the categories here.
1: Oh, no. And so
2: your question is just simply what word describes legal theory or the theoretical slash philosophical study of the law your time starts now
1: jurisprudence
2: brilliant quick correct okay so we go into question nine now you're two away plus a bonus question for just for fun from finishing the quiz question number nine is a land law question oh. and this asks in <laughs> land law can you name the two forms of co-ownership of property <gasps> your time is, starts now
1: is it joint tenancy and tenants in common
0: that <laughs> <correct. laughs> is
1: correct I'm streak? really into cohabitation law I'm very interested in that area
0: ah so is Liam That's for a bit yeah well, I, of my
1: friends have started buying houses I'm I'm warning them, speak to your lawyer about, what <laughs> about your own uh, property. So that felt kind of in my mind.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, let's ask you the 10th and final official question of this quiz, but there okay. is one more after it. So this is, I've classified this as family law, but you could classify oh. this in different ways. But finally, the last question is, if a person dies in test state, what does that mean? Your time starts now.
1: Without making a will?
2: That is correct. Nice. You that finished the quiz streak. very strong. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah, well,
1: luckily, I was worried about my reputation, actually.
2: What <laughs> is it's so not I finished? Oh, finished?
1: No, okay. Do,
2: so, Kev, I want to ask you for the bonus question. Do we add this onto the score and say it's still out of 10? Or do we say out of 11? It's a bonus of 11, question. of
0: course. Just to make it okay. linear, of course. Generosity. Okay, okay. Now this one is silly so we don't really expect you to know this okay so as of 1313 it has been illegal to enter the houses of parliament wearing what your timer starts now
1: Uh a (laughs) hat
0: that's actually pretty good um is that your final answer
1: yeah yeah
0: no, sorry. Oh. It's a suit of armor. Oh. <laughs> yeah. A very <laughs> random one. Yeah. No, um, no, but that was a lot of fun. Um, I think I speak for everyone here when I say that we had a lot of fun recording this. Um, it was great. Uh, we're we're so happy that uh, Katie was able to come on. Thank you, Katie. Thank uh, you so
1: much for asking me. It really means a lot to me. So I appreciate that. Yeah.
2: Thank you and um just to say to wrap up the quiz that makes your final score seven out of 11 because we're including the bonus question so a very good very respectable score i would say round of applause but i think that would sound terrible down the microphones i think i think
0: if we could add some sound effects yeah we could edit one in yeah
2: so let's do that we'll edit in some (laughs) applause and then also just to say would would you like us to leave your uh, linkedin or any other social media in the description for this episode just so people can check you out
1: yeah you can leave my linkedin if you want to yeah
2: okay well then we'll do that but again to echo the words of kef thank you so much for coming on it has been a pleasure to record this episode and i hope this translates well to the listeners but thank you everybody i hope you enjoyed the episode please please Make sure to follow the podcast and leave a rating and like the podcast on whatever you're using. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, whatever it is. But anyway, thank you very much. And this has been the second episode of the Billable Hour podcast.